Amen. What a powerful word, what a powerful song, a powerful time for us as we have been praising the name of our, our living hope, our Redeemer. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Today, uh, we just continue in the, the, the sweetness and the richness of God as we, uh, as we spend time in His Word. And, and over the last several weeks, if you've been joining us here, we've been thinking about what it means to be a disciple. And we've, we've already covered a lot of ground there, but we've, we've kind of looked at what the Scriptures have to say. We're just trying to open up God's Word and see what, what He says about discipleship and what that means. And so we've, we've kind of defined it as, as this act of, of coming to Jesus, but real specifically coming to know him, to trust him, but then also to follow him. And that's what, that's what discipleship is really all about. And then, and then we spent some time thinking about these words even behind me about discipleship as a life of, of being changed because of our proximity to Jesus. When we begin to, to know him and trust him and follow him, that leads to, to transformation in our lives. We are centered on Jesus Christ, on the good news about Jesus. We're centered, we might say, by the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't even stop there. Then once we have been changed by our, our lives being centered around Jesus, then comes this final piece. We are committed to the mission of Jesus. And we might, we might just put the gospel in there. We, we become committed to the good news, that we become committed to sharing that gospel message with, with others because we ourselves have experienced the sweetness and the richness and the goodness of God that's found there in the gospel. And so last week we, we spent our time thinking about that. We, we asked the question, what is the gospel? And, you know, for many of us, the shorthand that we might have received, the, the, the way that we might communicate the gospel in just a short little form, it probably goes something along the lines of, Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins so that I could go to heaven one day, so that I could go to heaven when I die. And that's, and that's kind of the shorthand way of communicating the gospel that, that many of us grew up with, or, or maybe... For you, if you haven't, you, that, that all seems kind of like new. Maybe that's how it's been shared uh, with you by, by someone else. But uh, it's, it's not that that way of communicating the gospel, even thinking about the gospel is wrong or misguided. That is a deeply biblical understanding of the gospel. But as you open up the pages of the scripture and just kind of let the, the Bible speak, let God speak to us on his terms, what we see is that the gospel is actually so much more than just that. It certainly is the, the truth that we just remembered around the table, that Jesus did die on the cross, and that death was unlike any other death. There was atonement associated with his death. And that certainly does, for those who believe, for those who, those who place their hope in that story, well, there is a promise. There are all sorts of promises, but there is that peace, that promise of someday and that promise of eternity and that promise of being in a place where there are no more tears, no more pain, no more cancer, no more tornadoes, you know, all of the things that are a part of this human experience. There is this, this promise, okay, that comes through the atoning blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 
gospel is also so much more than that. And as we look at how the, the New Testament writers communicate this idea of gospel, they always include this piece that I'm afraid we, we, don't, we don't communicate often. And it has to do with the faithfulness of God. That the gospel, every time you see it communicated in the pages of the, of the scriptures, you find this concept, this idea that God is a faithful God and God is a, a covenant-keeping God. He's a promise-keeping God. And so that's why we have all of these stories there in the Old Testament, you know? Sometimes I think we, we sort of adopt this mindset that God gave us the Old Testament so we'd have stories to talk about at vacation Bible school, you know? God gave us these Old Testament stories so we'd have something to teach our, our children. And, and, you know, maybe that's his purpose, but I think his purpose is a little higher. You know, those, those stories and those narratives we read about in the pages of the Old Testament, they, they actually tell the story of a, of a faithful God, a God who makes covenant promises to his people. And when we hear the New Testament authors talk about the gospel, they always look back and they always say that, that the gospel, the, the good news is this, that our God is faithful to keep his promise. The promises that he made through the prophets have now been fulfilled. They found their aim, their goal, their purpose. They all come together in Christ Jesus. So last week we looked at, at Luke chapter 4, and we looked at that passage where, where it says that Jesus goes back to his hometown, and he kind of begins his ministry this way. He goes to the synagogue in Nazareth, and, and, he, and he goes and, and he stands and, and he unrolls the scroll to what we would call Isaiah 61, and he reads that passage. Then he puts the scroll down, and he goes and he sits. It's kind of interesting, because they had the, the, the Jewish people had this this understanding that you know god's word should be elevated so you stand to read god's word the preaching you sit down for that you know you don't stand up to preach you stand up to read god's word you sit to make commentary i don't know how we kind of got that sort of messed up in our day so pretend that i'm sitting okay <laughs> uh, i submit myself to the word of god okay but that's that's kind of the idea so jesus reads from isaiah 61 and he sits when he makes commentary so he reads and, he, and he, he reads isaiah 61 which says that the spirit of the lord has anointed me the spirit of the lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor sight for the blind liberty for the captives and to declare the year of the lord's favor kind of hearkening back to that year of jubilee idea in the old testament and then when he rolls the scroll and he sits, then he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your presence, in your hearing. And at first people receive him well, but later it kind of goes south. But in that, we, we noted this, that there's, there's this way of Jesus even announcing his ministry. And he, he ties it into this, this promise of good news that Isaiah made some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And he and he points back to that promise and then he says here's the good news the promise has been fulfilled because our God is a covenant keeping God because God keeps his promises he is faithful to deliver the king that you've been waiting for the king is here that's why Jesus associates the good news with the kingdom of God because it's good news that the long-awaited king has finally arrived 
And so that's the way Jesus shares the, the, the beginning of his ministry. That's how Jesus even announces the presence of gospel and good news by hearkening back to what Isaiah says. But again, the idea is that it is something that was promised has reached fulfillment now in Christ. And as you move through the rest of the New Testament, you see that idea being repeated, not just by Jesus, although that's the foundational piece there, but throughout, you see these other New Testament writers pointing to this idea that the gospel of the New Testament is this, that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Israel. That's, that's what Jesus says there in Luke chapter 4, but today I want us to spend our time thinking about how the apostles declare this word of good news. And then I want to close just by getting really, really practical about what that means for us. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, we find the record of Simon Peter's gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was the second of those annual harvest festivals for the Jewish people. It, it comes 50 days after Passover. So seven weeks and change after the death of Jesus, uh, the streets are crowded once again with all the people who have come back into the city to observe and celebrate this feast. And so on that day, it says that God gifts the apostles with this powerful ability to, to communicate, to speak in tongues so that people can understand this good news message. And Simon Peter gets up and on that day he proclaims the the faithfulness of God. He preaches the gospel there. He tells them the good news about Jesus. And, and when he finishes that gospel sermon, Luke tells us down in, in verse 41 of Acts 2, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so clearly, the, we, we, we celebrate this, we mark this as the birth of the church. There, there's something significant happening here so the birth of the church kind of parallels in acts the birth of jesus over there in luke's first volume so in 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 luke you have jesus who is conceived by the holy spirit the holy spirit does something in mary and and, and then that leads to the life of of jesus the life of the messiah and so then in his second volume luke just kind of makes this connection he says okay the followers of jesus are kind of birthed the same way the holy spirit does something it moves powerfully and then we see the church being born here in Acts chapter 2, just as Jesus was born at the beginning of Luke's gospel. And, and so we have this powerful movement of God's Spirit. We call Acts the Acts of the Apostles, but really it ought to be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because he is the central figure moving through the spread of the good news. But if you look at Acts chapter 2, and you look at Simon Peter's sermon, Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't just begin. He doesn't just plow in and say, hey, everybody, Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins so you could go to heaven when you die. Like he, that would be a really short sermon, and a lot of people might have liked it. It's probably shorter than the one he preached, right? But he doesn't just begin there. Instead, if you look back through Acts chapter 2, you see what Simon Peter does. He, he frames the gospel as the fulfillment Look at it. The fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Israel. So he goes back and he begins with an Old Testament prophecy, the prophet of Joel. And he sees this, this, this prophecy, this day that Joel anticipated, okay? 
Joel anticipates this day when God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. He anticipates this day uh, when the sons and daughters of Israel would prophesy uh, and, and, and that all who would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. That's the section that Simon Peter quotes there in his sermon from Joel. And he, and he does the same thing that Jesus does. He, he connects this prophecy with Jesus. He says what, what Joel promised long ago has now come to fulfillment because of Jesus. He sees the, 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 the good news as fulfillment of all that God promised. And he does the same thing with the Psalms. He quotes from two Psalms, Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, but it's the same idea. He connects those Old Testament texts to the story of Jesus. And so he shows that throughout those scriptures, God has been faithful to keep his promises to Israel. So the idea here is that Jesus is the resolution of those Old Testament promises. That what God promised there has now, he's, he's delivered on. Those have come to fulfillment. And that was an important way for Simon Peter to present the good news in Acts chapter 2. But here's the thing, it wasn't just like a one-off thing. It wasn't just, well, that was, that was one way of presenting the gospel for Simon Peter. No, in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 3, he presents the gospel uh, in, in the same way. So in, in Acts chapter 3, Simon Peter heals this lame beggar. Uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he brings healing to this man. To this man. And, uh, and when the crowds gather around, Simon Peter takes advantage of the opportunity. You know, crowds come pressing in, so he sees it as another great opportunity to magnify the name of Jesus. So he shares the gospel with them. He shares the, the good news. And, and once again, he, he tells the story of Jesus as the story of God that began way back there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Actually talks about them in verse 13 uh, of Acts chapter 3. And he says that God has been faithful to keep his promises that he made all those years ago. See, sometimes we kind of view the, the, the gospel and what happens in Jesus as like God's, God's second act. That, you know, he had this plan over here with Israel, and that didn't really go so well. So God kind of said, you know, forget that. I'm going to send my son to kind of clean up that mess. So, so in Jesus, we have salvation plan 2.0. And that's not the case. The gospel is never presented that way because that would mean that God's promises to Israel weren't kept and that God couldn't deliver on the promises that he makes to you. So the good news is the gospel's never presented that way. Instead, it's presented as this rich narrative where God is always faithful to his people. Look at what Simon Peter says in uh, verses 18 through 21 of Acts 3. And I've highlighted these parts just so you kind of get the sense. So he says, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, mainly that, that Christ would suffer, okay? He says he fulfilled all those things the prophets were talking about. It wasn't just... You know, it wasn't, it wasn't just nonsense. God was moving through that. So God was making promises through those prophets. And it has to do with, with Jesus. And so therefore, he says, repent. That word gets our attention, right? That word gets our attention if we know where Simon Peter goes in Acts chapter 2 in his presentation of the gospel. He's not just doing like Old Testament review either. His point is very, 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 very practical. Repent. That's what he's wanting to get us to focus to. Turn our hearts back toward God because you can trust him. Because in a world where nobody keeps their promises fully, God does. To the point that Jesus comes, and he dies, and he rises again, and he's victorious over sin and death. All because God promised that. So, repent, Simon Peter says, and turn so that your sins might be blotted out. Times of refreshing might come. And then this at the end, okay? 
that God would restore all things, and then the last part, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. But again, Simon Peter just doesn't do that early on, and then he learns a better way to communicate the gospel, maybe later in his ministry. No, in Acts chapter 10, he's sharing the good news with Cornelius and his, his household, okay? And look at what he says in verses 42 and 43 of Acts uh, chapter 10, okay? And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. He's talking about Jesus. To him, all the prophets bear witness. Why is that an important detail? How come every time Simon Peter shares the gospel, he goes back and he starts talking about those Old Testament prophets and we barely remember their names and, you know, we kind of glaze over when somebody starts reading from those Old Testament prophets and they're like, you know, just hurry up and get to the good stuff, right? Tell us about Jesus and tell us about all that. Well, no, no, right? the gospel writers won't do that. Simon Peter won't do that as he's preaching the gospel because it's really important to him. But we understand that God is a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. And maybe the clearest way to see that in the book of Acts isn't even with Simon Peter, but in Acts chapter 7, where you have Stephen, who goes through and does basically this Old Testament review. It's this in-depth review of the story of Israel in Acts chapter 7. He goes from Abraham to Joseph, to Moses, to Joshua, to David, to Solomon, to the prophets. But ultimately, for, for Stephen, that story ultimately ends, it leads to Jesus, who is the hero of Israel's story. He's the long-awaited king. He is the Messiah. So that, that's the way the gospel is presented in the book of Acts. It's a testimony to God's faithfulness. So it's no surprise then that you see how Paul presents the gospel. Uh, he preaches the very same thing. Uh, Paul reminds the Corinthians early on in 1 Corinthians that he comes preaching a simple message. It's all about the cross. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul preaches the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's his gospel. But in Acts chapter 15, he gives us a really in-depth uh, analysis of, of the content of that gospel. So he kind of unpacks it a little more for us in Acts chapter 15. I want you to look at this. Acts 15 uh, two sections, okay, 1 through 5, and then 24 through 26 of Acts 15, all right? Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. So again, we're digging in on, on this key idea. This is, this is my gospel, okay? You received it, you stand on it, you've been saved by it. If you're going to continue to hold fast to the word I preached, you know, unless, unless you believed in vain, unless you kind of turned your back on all this, you know, this is good news, and you can take it to the bank. Okay, he goes on. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Okay, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and again, in accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared uh, to Cephas and then the twelve. And then, then Paul does what Paul often does, he kind of chases a rabbit around here. He kind of goes over here as the Holy Spirit is kind of leading him to this, this conversation about, uh, about the power of the resurrection. Okay, so he, he kind of, then he completes the thought, though, in verses 24 through 26. He, he kind of completes the story of Jesus, okay? So then he says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, uh, the, he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power 
for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So if you step back and take all those verses that Paul, you know, we just read from Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, okay, this is the gospel that I preach. And you notice, it, it is all about the story of Jesus bringing fulfillment to all those scriptures that came before. And there's kind of five components to this too. Paul says, you know, if you want to, this is the gospel I'm preaching. It's all about the death of Jesus. It's about his burial. It's about his resurrection. It's about his appearance. And then that final piece, his final victory over death. And that's a, that's a boots-on-the-ground understanding of the gospel as it was preached by an apostle in the first century. We think this is the earliest expression of the, the content of the gospel, that Paul wrote this, we think, we don't know for sure, but we think he wrote this before any of the gospels would have been written, before, you know, like Luke wrote what we find there in, in Acts with Simon Peter. All about the promises of God. All about God keeping his promises to Israel and them coming to fulfillment in King Jesus. Okay, so that's, that's really, um, well, and then, and then he says this. This is kind of like a final tack on 2 Corinthians 1. Forgot about this one. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. So, um, that's good information about the gospel, okay? That's, that's good information. To me, that, that's, that's the way the gospel is presented on the pages of the New Testament. But now, I, I want us to think kind of practically. Uh, what does that mean for us? I think it means, at least among other things, it means this. As we strive to create a discipling culture here, a culture where we're, we're even more focused on discipleship than ever before, uh, I think that this means we need to know the story of Jesus, right? I mean, we, we need to be really conversant when it comes to the story of Jesus, and that means we also need to increase our, our understanding. We need to know the story of Israel and how Jesus is the fulfillment of that story, but, but not even just like knowing it all. That's where it begins. We, so we need to know the story of Jesus, but we need to be able to tell the story of Jesus in a really compelling way. I think we need to tell the story of Jesus Christ in a way that resonates in the hearts and minds of others. You know, sometimes we, we, we lean in there and we kind of begin with, hey, Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. I, uh, people don't even know what that means necessarily anymore. But everybody knows what it means to, to, have, to be around somebody who doesn't keep their promises. That's universal. Everybody can relate to that. So, you know, you get tired of people not doing what they say they're going to do? Well, it, really, it really annoys me. Does it bother you? Well, yeah. Hey, there's a story that I, I've bought into hook, line, and sinker, and it is all about a God who keeps his promises. To this degree, it cost his son this much. But God does that because he's faithful, because when he says he's going to do it, he does it. You want to know a little more about that God? You see, that, that's such a, a, in my mind, a compelling way to tell the story of Jesus. So you, but you can't get there unless you know the story of Jesus, unless you know how the story of Jesus reaches fulfillment 
The story of Israel, rather, reaches fulfillment in the story of Jesus. So, so knowing it is great. That's first base. We need to continue to lean in and know the story of Jesus. We need to be able to tell that story in a really powerful and compelling way. And I'm struck by, by this idea, too. And more than knowing and more than even telling, although telling is, is really crucial, I think the final piece of this where we'll really be leaning in, where, where I think God is leading us in the New Testament, is when we not only know the story and we not only tell it really well, but when we live that story with our whole being. That's when the gospel comes alive. You know, we talk about the gospel as kind of like this abstract thing, like it's this story, it's this noun, and it is, and that's the way it's used in the pages of the New Testament, but, uh, but only partially. The same word, the same Greek word that's used there, it's also used as a verb. Do you, ever, do you know that? I mean, do you ever, you ever thought of that? So, so, like, you can share the gospel with someone, or you can gospel someone. It's kind of a difference, in my mind. I, you know, they're, they're very, very similar, but, you know, sharing the gospel is, again, like, I just want to tell you the story, and I, I, I wanna, want you to know the facts, and, I want, and, and that's a great place to begin, but when we share the gospel, there comes this moment, though, where people are going to look at our own lives. And they're going to they're gonna try to see the consistency there. And that's the real opportunity we have to gospel someone. Uh, I want to show you this, okay, in Acts chapter four, uh, 14, okay. Paul and Barnabas, they've been in Iconium, and they've shared the gospel with some folks. And uh, some of the disbelieving Jews, they, they're a little bothered by it because they don't see Jesus as a fulfillment to all those scriptures. So they get a little upset. So they work up the crowd. They work up some of the Gentiles. And they, they begin to kind of like press in and, and oppose. So it says this, when an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them, Paul and Barnabas, and to stone them, Paul and Barnabas, uh, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and to Derbe and the surrounding country. And there they continued, this is the part I want to focus on, they continued to preach the gospel, okay? And the story goes on from there. But literally, what it says is not, and they preached the gospel, although that's a fine translation. It's just not exactly literally what it says. It, said, it says this. It says, and they gospeled. <laughs> this is, it, it, these are people who, you know, Paul and Barnabas shared the good news. And, um, you know, I've had people who didn't like something I said in a sermon, but nobody's tried to stone me yet, you know? I mean, like, these guys are sharing the gospel news, and it is so offensive. It is so radical. It is so, like, unacceptable to some that they're like, we got to shut these guys up, and the only thing we know to do is to kill them. <laughs> and, and Paul and Barnabas learned of it, and they're like, okay, well, I guess, we, I guess it's time to leave. And so, you know, there's, there doesn't seem to be this like, super, you know, strong sense of urgency, and they just kind of do what Jesus said. They shake the dust off their feet, and they go down to the next, you know, place, and they begin to gospel. Because the gospel has come alive in these men. You know how many times Paul tells his story in the book of Acts? I mean, Luke records it in Acts chapter 9. But then Paul comes along and he tells that same story. Damascus Road, black, bright light, Jesus, you know, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. That's kind of like what he says. Acts 22 and Acts 26, it seems like Paul is always gospeling. It seems like he is always telling his story. Now, he's the king of saying, hey, if you want to know how, how all this pieces together, let me start with the Old Testament. I will show you how God has been faithful to keep all of his promises. So Paul is there, okay? He knows what that is like. But every time he shares the gospel, it seems like in Acts, at least, he's coming back often, over and over, 
not just uh, like all the facts of the story. You understand the difference here? Not just like, hey, let me, let me turn in your Bibles, if you will. To, like he's, he's doing that, but not only that, he's also saying, hey, and I got to tell you how this has impacted my life. Man, I was killing Christians. I was on my way to Damascus to drag Christians out of their houses and kill them. I was, that was me. I was that guy, and I'm not proud of it, but Jesus saved me. He blinded me, and, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to give my life over to him, and by the grace of God, he gave me my sight back. By the grace of God, he gave me a mission and a task to share the good news, to gospel other people. And now, it doesn't matter if you try to stone Paul. It doesn't matter if you throw him in jail. It doesn't matter what you do to him. He's going to do whatever he can to gospel other people, right? Because the good news has meant that much to him. His life is centered on that gospel message. And so because of that, it's easy for him to be committed because he knows how much he's changed. But the thing is, I think sometimes we want our lives to be centered on Jesus at least for a couple of hours on Sunday, but then we want to center around everything else the rest of the time, and it doesn't work that way. We don't gospel people that way. We gospel people when our lives are so centered on Jesus heaven forbid even if our lives were at risk it would be okay because my jesus has already defeated death what else you got i'm not saying we pick a fight and we go looking for you know persecution not at all but i'm saying we're not afraid of it because jesus certainly wasn't afraid of it simon peter sure isn't afraid of it the apostle paul <laughs> you sure are not afraid of it the gospel, the gospel came alive because their lives were centered on the good news of Jesus. So I'm going to come back to that question that I asked you last week, and we'll, we'll wind down here. Do you believe in your bones, really? I know you're at church, so the, the knee jerk is to say, well, yes, I believe this, but you know, nobody's going to know, but I, just, I want you just to ask, do, do you really believe that the message of Jesus is good news. In your bones, in your heart, is it good news? Is it just news that mom told me when I was eight and that's why I come to church? Is it just, hey, I do this to keep the peace in my home? I do this because my parents make me come. You know? Or is it, is it life-changing good news? And if so, then the question becomes are you are you gospeling are you telling your story joe's already talked about the love your neighbor day we'll tell you a little bit more about that next week we'll, we'll just we'll camp out there and explain but it's an opportunity for us to gospel to live out good news to share that message just on one day but hopefully to begin to to share that message a little more fully. Do you believe that the message is good news? If so, I would say, are you gospeling? Are you telling your story? If you've not responded to that message of good news, then my prayer would be that today, in this moment, you really strongly consider whether or not the story of Jesus is good news worth giving your life for. Our God is a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. He is faithful. 
And the story of Jesus expresses that. If you need to respond to his good news today, I hope you will. This word is given in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the sovereign Lord, who makes all things new. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand and sing.